da 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 You sound insane. You realize that? Yeah. The whole world got crazy. Well, a very happy 4th of July or post 4th of July to our American audience out there. And welcome, welcome, welcome again to another episode of the Mad About Movies podcast. I am Ken Garrison, your trusted host with my trusted cohorts, Brian and Richard. Hey guys, you made it it through the weekend. We made it. No Jason Pierre Paul incidents. Yeah, just, everything's good. Fingers, so that's yeah, good. yeah. I saw. Did you guys see Nick Young almost died? He almost blew off his hand with some sort of. Did he uh, really? Some sort of firework. Swaggy you know? Pete. Swaggy Pete. He's just yeah. so upset about that Iggy Azalea breakup. He <laughs> just, just thought he'd end <laughs> it on with some yeah. fireworks. Yeah, the weird part. What I heard was he lit it and threw it, and it it just went two feet yeah, up in the air and go came right back down. But he was already turned around celebrating, and he just didn't see it. So it was. <laughs> Pretty violent. Didn't go anywhere near its intended target. It was <laughs> yeah, kind of yeah. weird and ironic. And he refused to assist anyone else in right. their fireworks either. It'll be out there. We've soon. got clearly NBA free agency <laughs> on the mind. A lot of a lot of chatter on Twitter about this, but uh, <laughs> the show must go on. And here we are. What's supposed to be the biggest movie weekend of the year, the Fourth of July weekend. Oh, I, I don't down. I don't know if that's the case anymore. No, it's definitely and, and I think we should maybe talk about this just to start off the show this week. Um, I grew up in the 90s, in the heyday of crappy blockbusters. Um, that's where I first discovered film, was in the 90s. And so uh, it's it was a slight improvement in the 2000s, I thought, as far as blockbusters and as far as things people actually wanted to see uh, they would put out in the summer. And sometimes they weren't all that bad. There were, there were very few Batman and Robins in the mid two thousands. I think they they started to go on the right track. Unfortunately, they're off the right track again, but I wonder why the movie studios over the years have kind of abandoned the, the 4th of July weekend as the place to launch a, a film or the maybe most lucrative weekend of the year. It seems, seems that the first weekend of May now is the more lucrative one, mm-hmm. which is confusing because, if you're in college, that's that's, a, that's finals week. You're usually not out until <laughs> you know the second week of May. Yourself. And if you're in high school, you're not out for four more weeks. So usually. So a little confusing as to why the first of May. Maybe it's just because May is the first real summer month. It's the first full summer month, I guess. And uh, we're just kind of in the summer movie mood at that point. So they're just capitalizing more on people's emotions rather than their convenience. Uh, sure. But it, I, I've gone back and looked, and uh, it's been this year. Finding Dory made, I think forty something million, forty five million. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was number one this past weekend again. I think it's the third weekend in a row. It has been number one, but uh, usually in the past five years, it's been about the average for for the Fourth of July is is right. roundabouts fifty million dollars. And I had to go all the way back to two thousand and six. To Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest. The good one. Is that the second or the third one? That's the second. Then you have have At World's End, I think, is the third. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So Dead Man's Chest came out the 7th of July, or that weekend was a new movie. I think it came out the 4th, but the first weekend was the 7th. 
Okay. And it took in $135 million its opening weekend. And I didn't see another $100 million opening week. I think the next one was 2009 with Hancock, I think, was the next Classic. closest. It was, it was yeah. 60, $65 million, uh, for Hancock. Yeah. Uh, actually, 2009 was, was Hancock. I mean, 2009 yeah. was Transformers 2, and then Transformers 3 was 2011. Right. 2008 was Hancock. And uh, that did um, 60-something million. It's, it's opening weight. I'm just saying the evidence is there that uh, it's not the summer movie season, really. It's not the time to be releasing releasing a movie, which I thought the opposite. I thought more people were out doing stuff. More people were with family. More people are free and off work during the 4th of July weekend. It's just crazy that times have changed. I wonder why, yeah. I wonder why that is. You know, the last, uh, the last big hit... To, to come out on 4th of July weekend. This is going to make you angry, Kant. Uh, 2013, Despicable Me 2 made $83 million on uh-huh. its opening weekend. Do we count that, though? Like, is that... <laughs> I mean, that's a lot of money. It brought in a lot of money. But well, it has well, been I mean, this is... I'm with you in... I'm in just saying, okay, here's what was second that was the Lone Ranger. Like, that yeah. was supposed to be the yeah. summer blockbuster oh, that totally. year. It was yeah. like, that is... That's, the, that's how we know we're in the season is when the Lone Ranger destroys all the box office records, you know? Uh, it made $29 million, Gosh. Uh, that weekend. I hate that movie so much. That's an underrated movie. We talk about that's that awesome. enough because it got swallowed up with Now You See Me and, and other things that we've made our mark with, but The Lone Ranger is a horrific film. The Crow Lobby really got to us. <laughs> so we couldn't, you know, crap on it too hard. <laughs> um. So... $41 million for Finding Dory this past weekend. The Legend of Tarzan, second place with $38 million. And uh, I, I don't have cable. I told you guys I quit the cord about a year ago. So a little confusing that this actually came out and made $38 million because I didn't even know it was coming out. Uh, how was the marketing on on terrestrial TV, I guess? And, uh, Pretty heavy. Because I, I saw none. Yeah. They spent quite a bit okay. to, to advertise it. Like in the final, um, during the finals and things like that? or Yeah. Know. Yeah, it had there was some crossover campaign with with the NBA, I believe, some kind of I don't remember what it was, but there was something there. So, you know, along yeah. with Ghostbusters, lots of money spent during that that time of the year. How many more times are they going to reboot Tarzan before people are I don't this has to be it. This has to be it. No one cares. No one cares about Tarzan. There's nobody under the we're we're all close to 30 now. There's no one under the age of us that cares at all or even knows what the tarzan property is like yeah. we have to stop it's not stop banking on this and and just let it go let it go it had a good run had a good hundred year run let's let's let it go <laughs> i think the burroughs estate is doing fine <laughs> yeah seriously we don't need to leave them be yeah. yeah we didn't they do a tarzan series on like the cw did they do that? That's, Am I making that? That's like a complete that fact. That sounds in my, so CW. Like, yeah, I was gonna say you could totally just. If, okay, just I was gonna yeah, say they if did. they haven't, they did already. <laughs> they did. I don't know. Okay, well, it. it's a Warner Brothers property, but would that not be the perfect CW series? Like Teenage Tarzan and like Gosh. Teenage Jane. I don't see it just, on IMDb, but okay. there was a Tarzan movie in 2013. So was there with, with Kellen Lutz? So oh, you know, are you serious? I thought that was Hercules. <laughs> Well, that too. That also exists. What? Uh, Tarzan, the legend starts here. There's no way this is. I a have real never movie. heard of that in my life. I haven't either. I gotta look up its box office total. Hold on. 
Okay, Dang well, yeah. Warner Brothers, I'm pitching me now. Tarzan, the series. <laughs> I, need to, I need to make it happen. That would work. That could work. This will not. Um, why does Tarzan not have a beard either? I don't ever understood that. <laughs> it's never been explained. He's a perfect six-pack and no facial hair at all, but he's lived in the wilderness for the entirety. I don't even see a box office total, so maybe it was like straight to DVD or something. Ugh. So you know, maybe it's yet to come out. Maybe it's been pushed back. Maybe for it debuted in Germany. I can tell you that. Pretty interesting. Gosh, man. So coming in third this past week was the Purge election year with thirty-one million dollars. I think they're just going to keep pumping these out. Um, budget of ten million. So, yeah, they really are going to keep pumping these out as long as they're making a lot of money on them. And uh, I'm not a fan of The Purge. I always thought it was a good concept, horrible execution, wasn't scary, wasn't even thrilling. And uh, so I I don't know why they keep doing it, but I've heard The Purge election year is the best of the three. Um, I wouldn't know. I haven't seen Anarchy. I have only seen The Purge. But I uh, wasn't a fan of The Purge. Big letdown. Which brings yeah, us to I can't help you at all on that. Yeah, I, I don't think you guys went and saw that. I knew you were no. weren't in line there, Brian, at all. But which brings us to the fourth place debut for mm. the BFG. Eighteen million uh opening weekend. And that comes from a three thousand three hundred theater count mm. and uh a hundred and forty million dollar budget. So not looking too good for as far as recouping that. Uh, maybe worldwide will will change things, yeah. but not uh, a great start. Doesn't right? even look like they're going to break even on the BFG. And there's sort of a conversation surrounding the fact that I, in my lifetime, I think only one other time I can recall uh, the the word Steven Spielberg and flop being uttered in the same sentence, especially on Fourth of July weekend. Yeah. Um, I think this is a confusing marketing scheme for this movie. I don't really know. I don't I don't know if you can just put out from the magic of Steven Spielberg comes Walt mm-hmm. Disney presents and then people are just going to go see it. Uh I think it has to be a little bit more to that now. Mm-hmm. It's been a while since Steven Spielberg has really blown us away. I know that's hard to say because his average films are better than most directors best films. Um Right. Uh, I think Lincoln was maybe the last big, most talked about Spielberg movie. He did Tin Tin in the past few years. That that's maybe the last time I've heard of a movie of his flopping. But I believe Tin Tin made a pretty decent amount when you when it was all said and done. And they are doing a sequel, sure. which Peter Jackson is directing in the next year or starting to direct. Um, so it's just a little bit weird that Steven Spielberg is not the uh, not the name he used to be. I always mm-hmm. thought he would at least account for beating the Purge election year uh, <laughs> when he debuts a film, a $140 million blockbuster film, um, which which came pretty recommended. You know, critics liked it. I think audiences uh, enjoyed themselves too, but uh, a little bit confusing. Maybe the source material had something to yeah. do with that. Yeah, I think there's a lot of interest. It, it's... I saw a lot of uh, pieces talking about has you know can you still bank on Spielberg has he lost the magic and I I think there's a certain amount of you've lost your fastball at his age and at the number of films that he's made he probably doesn't have the hundred mile an hour fastball that he once had but I also think the property is 
is the problem in some ways as well. Richard, you're a literature guy. Any thoughts <laughs> on maybe this property of the BFG? It's on, on his business card. It's on your ER. <laughs> literature guy. It literally yeah. was for a number of years. <laughs> so, literature guy slash cardigan enthusiast. Um, yeah. No, I don't know that much about uh, this type of thing at all. Um, I know. I mean, I know it's Roald Dahl, and I like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and I like Matilda. I don't remember reading this one much as a kid. Um, no, it's it's uh, it's kind of an offsetting, weird, off-putting at least property. But the Disney thing is kind of just is. I don't know. Spielberg definitely still has his fastball when it comes to like um, sensibility. Kind of, yeah, and the kind of more movies for adults, but maybe his family-friendly uh, uh, spiel is a little off. But mm-hmm. I don't know if these ever do that well. Like, did James and the Giant Peach kill it at yeah. the box office? Like, didn't no. we learn that these kind of creep kids out, but then they become cult classics later on because the stories mm-hmm. are kind of important yeah. and weird? I feel like we've learned this lesson a few times. The best doll adaptation is... is uh uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox, which is not a kid's movie at all. I mean, it's it's Wes Anderson-y, and that's the one that works the best. Original. And, Original yeah, exactly. Long. Yeah, that's true. Forgot about that one. Um, but that one really creeps kids out now. Like, if I tried to show Cooper that movie, he, he would he would have nightmares. There's no... Really? There's Wonka, no really? Yeah, oh, totally. Yeah, it's weird. Oh, and Yeah, it's great. I, I love... I really enjoyed that as a like preteen but i think yeah. as a kid you're like what's happening it uh it's my top so 10 of all I, time yeah it's a it's a it's a great film it's also super creepy and weird like the entire setup of that movie is really weird and yeah even weirder i think it gets weirder by the year like in yeah, 1985 you're like talking- oh look at these kids <laughs> they died you know and then in 2016 you're like wait what like <laughs> how does this work he just like invited these kids into his creepy factory and let them all sort of die. Oh, oh, okay. He has slave workers. Like this is a strange story. I'm not complaining about it. It's it's great. Roald Dahl was one of my favorites uh, when I was when growing up with the the, the books. But um, it is very it's odd storytelling. It's a lot, there's a lot of a lot a lot a lot of satire going on yeah. in oh, yeah. in sure. Willy Wonka. And when you're a kid, you're just you're just in a world of pure imagination. You don't oh. care about you don't care about the satire. It's uh it's funny disturbing they nature. Made the- the Johnny Depp one to sensibly be darker, and it doesn't mm-hmm. even touch the original no. in terms of creep factor. It's great. Yeah. The original is so much better. That boat scene in the original is still super creepy. Oh, yeah. Where That's where we're going. Yeah, and all the weird imagery is showing on the screens, and they're, yeah. That, that's, that's a classic scene, but maybe we'll get to that another day. We need a Willy Wonka throwback. Mm. Yeah, that'd uh, be fun. That'd be, that would be, that'd be good. But Steven Spielberg came out in the past couple of weeks and said, I don't think we, I don't think we mentioned this last week. The fact that he said he'll never, ever, ever direct a star Wars film. Oh, a little dagger to my heart. There hurts, hurts a little hurts bit. Bad. Yeah. I wonder why, why, why? I maybe think even an offshoot. Maybe yeah, it's relationship I, with George, but yeah, maybe George true. would be angry about it. I don't know. You would probably. It's just more... not the way it happens, though. Exactly. <laughs> that's not. That's not what happens. You don't. You don't direct Star Wars, Stephen. I direct Star Wars. <laughs> you direct Jaws and ET. Um, it's my, my. I've been working on that for hours. Obviously. Love it. Yeah. We. Um. I want an entire podcast. I want Richard through the looking glass, except Kent 
through the me George as George's class. I, yeah. I want to do a podcast as George Lucas commenting <laughs> on The Force Awakens, <laughs> on his opinion of The Force Awakens. Speaking of of Star Wars, uh, James Cameron oh. has come out in the past couple weeks um, promoting Avatar, of course, because that's all he's done for eight years. Is talk about Avatar sequels that still have yet to even begin production. But what if if they don't ever come out? What I hope they don't. Greatest con of all time that he's just yeah. I'm working on this uh, Avatar movie at Disney. You want to give me four hundred billion dollars to put the uh, Avatar stuff in your parks? Great. Yeah, it's uh, more movies are coming, guys. We just got to get the technology, and he just never does it. That's that's I I think I would respect him more if he pulled the long con like that and just kept stringing everybody along. But he had some not-so-nice or not-so-kind words to say about Star Wars or his thoughts on The Force Awakens, and uh, I will play those for you now. Well, George Lucas is a friend of mine, and uh, he and I were having a a good uh, conversation Mm -hmm. the other day about it. Uh, I don't want to say too much about the film. Yeah, definitely. I also also have a lot of respect for J.J. Abrams, Mm -hmm. and I want to see where they're taking it Mm -hmm. next, you know, Mm -hmm. see see what they're doing with it. Um, I have to say that I felt that George's group of six films had more uh, innovative visual imagination, mm-hmm. and this film was more of a retrenchment to things you had seen before and characters you had seen before, and it took a few baby steps forward with new characters. So for me, the jury's out. I want to see where they go with it. Obviously, he's hoping that it'll go somewhere with episode eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, not a big fan of what J.J. was doing. More of a rehash, he said. Of, of previous events. And I think that's George Lucas's um, opinion on it as well. He said, yeah. I think his direct quote at the premiere of the force awakens was, this is the, this is a movie that the fans will really like or something like that. <laughs> you don't want that. That's yeah, anti. that's exactly. Yeah. No, oh, he, God forbid that ever happened. It's a little confusing that uh, you couldn't see if you're James Cameron and see the force awakens. And I totally understand the criticism for, oh, that stuff stuff kind of happened in The New Hope. It's kind of mirroring A New Hope, which is on purpose. I don't know if you yeah. guys caught that, but it's right. called mirroring, and it's a, it's, a, it's a one big story, so it's not surprising if you things rhyme. It's like poetry, yeah. as George would say. Um, it's, uh, it's like poetry, but it, it rhymes. Um, so expect for Kylo Ren to get his arm cut off in the next one. Like if he does, like I won't be upset because it happens in this and it has happened. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Like if yeah. anything can rip off Star Wars, it's Star Wars. Right. <laughs> it's like they yes. made uh, Firefly 2 or Serenity 2 <laughs> and it was just a rip off of The New Hope and then everybody's <laughs> upset. That would be weird. You yeah. know, it's uh, yeah. that would be. I a might watch hard. that, though. I'll be honest. If somebody wants to put that together. That'd be fun. Yeah. No. Uh, what are your thoughts on maybe? James Cameron's kind of cockiness at this point. <laughs> I know. I mean, he he has made the best or the highest grossing movie of all time, so he can talk if anybody, you yeah. know, about uh, blockbusters. But um, it's just so arrogant. Yeah, I really sure I don't like him. Know, he uh, he walks the the Piven American Treasure line pretty well. There's times when every once in a while something will come out that he says, and I'm like, that's a really funny, biting. Borderline inappropriate comment that the only person that could say that is somebody who has, you know, the two biggest movies of all time on his record, you know? And I think he uses that. There's every once in a while he does it right and says something where you're like, yeah, I get that. That's funny. But more often than not, it seems like he enjoys 
uh, just kind of inserting himself into a conversation that he really has no business being a part of. And he's so haughty and cocky about everything. And it's, it's very obnoxious. I, he's easy to root against, I think for the most part. Uh, but then every once in a while, like I said, he'll just pop in with something that you're like, that's, that's kind of funny. That's, and that's a different take on it. But this time around, look, I'm the biggest star Wars Mark ever. So of course I'm going to defend force awakens, but he definitely comes across like, uh, George Lucas's, uh, hand puppet in a lot of ways with those comments. Exactly. And he said, you know, I'm friends with George, but I'm also very good friends with JJ, you know, so oh, it's kind it of a weird thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's kind of a weird, weird place to be in. But like I said, if anybody can, can say these things, like I always like to doubt James Cameron and, and talk crap about him be like, you know, he got lucky a few times, you know, who wasn't going to go see Titanic, you know, Yui Bull could have made Titanic and it would have made a ton. <laughs> uh, but I go, I always go see his movies and they always end up being huge, like biggest movie of all time, huge. So I can't really talk crap about somebody who has oh, has not done nothing but successful things in his career. I mean, honestly, since Terminator 2, uh, except for that deep sea weird 3D thing he did that came out and no one saw. That was a little right. deep sea expedition or whatever it was. Yes. See, that's the stuff that he does that's cool, where, like, he literally, he's the guy in the sub down at the bottom of the ocean. He did that himself, and that was pretty cool. That was an interesting, I don't think, I don't think Steven Spielberg would do that, you know, or J.J. himself, or whatever. Like, that's a cool, that's a cool idea, cool concept, cool thing that he did, that he just was like, yeah, this is what I'm going to do, and this is my fascination, and here it is. But, like, is anyone interested in his movies? I, I don't know. I'm... I guess that remains to be seen. It does. And again, sad that Spielberg will not be doing a Star Wars film. Um, you would think George would be more okay with Steven doing it than some rant like Colin Trevorrow or Josh Trank, you know, <laughs> doing doing one because he trusts Steven. I think he trusts Steven's sensibilities, his instinct, um, his respect for George and uh, the Star Wars story. I think it would have worked great, but uh, I guess he's all hands off. Yeah, I just think he maybe he would feel like mind, it's maybe he would feel like it's piggybacking off George for him sure. to do that. I think he just has a weird. He has a great relationship with George. He always has, and I think he feels he would feel weird taking over a property that you know up until a couple of years ago was George's and solely George's. You know, you know uh, just has George wanted that. Steven to direct the prequels. Right. And like yeah. Steven was like, I'm not letting me do that. You are doing yeah. it. Like no one else is doing it but you. Um, right. He wouldn't let him but do it. There were also rumors that he had read the script when he. <laughs> of like, course. Actually, of course. <laughs> that's just that's I think that is a part of the story that kind of gets lost is like, I really want you to do these. And oh, yeah. You know what? I'd be interested, George, if you really feel like I'm the right guy to do it. Let me read the script. Oh, George, I don't think anyone can do this but you. Yeah. Like, that's just, I don't know about this. Well, he should have warned him then. <laughs> hey, and also you might want to change the script. Yeah, you might want to throw this entire thing out and start over. What, what's wrong with that? That's not how it happened, though. <laughs> what do you mean it's that you can't read it? That's that's what happened. Jar <laughs> Jar um, happened. I can't change Jar Yeah, I can't take him out. He was there. <laughs> um so part of the gospel. <laughs> I just want to take this moment to say thank you to everyone who subscribed and downloaded our Mad About Movies newsletter, issue number three. 
which dropped uh, yesterday, I believe. And so you can do the you can do that. You can sign up yourself, madaboutmoviespodcast.com slash newsletter. We had some really fun stuff on this past uh, release, I guess, issue. Uh, oh. Shane Byerly, who joined us on our Batman v Superman episode, great guy, works at a studio, works in the studio system, and uh, loves him some Batman, Su- Batman v Superman, gives his detailed review of the Ultimate Edition of the film, mm. the director's yeah. cut, which is awesome. And uh, we got some great stuff from Brian, some recommends, some summer movie recommends from Brian. And I talked about the experience of going to the movie theater, and it's always fun. comes out once a month, the first Monday of every month. So do that. Check that out. Thank you to the people who have who have done that. And look out to the blog um, for maybe an entry from this past one. We'll throw up on the blog just as a kind of teaser of what you could expect from the newsletter. Hey, what's up, ma'am, fam? Kent here. And yes, if you're hearing from me, you know it's time to talk about Blue Apron. If you haven't tried out Blue Apron by now, what the heck are you even doing? Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. They deliver fresh meals straight to your door. All the food is fresh. It's sourced from local farms. And there's no wasted ingredients. I've been a Blue Apron subscriber for a long time now. And they have still, to this day, never let me down. There's tons of variety. Some featured upcoming meals include summer vegetable and egg paninis, soy glazed pork and rice cakes, skillet vegetable chili with cheddar drop biscuits, holy crap, and garlic butter shrimp and corn with green bean salad. So take it from me. Try out Blue Apron now. Go to blueapron.com slash mad. That's blueapron.com slash mad. Get three meals on us for free. Nothing goes better with a movie than dinner. So check out Blue Apron. Blueapron.com slash mad. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. And uh, let's talk the BFG guys. Now that we're fully in BFG mode, um, we talked about the box office. We talked about the $18 million, I guess, 4th of July haul for this movie. There's a conversation going around right now. If this was called the big friendly giant, would it have done better than the BFG? Would, would, would that have helped? Would that have given it $10 million more million right there? Maybe, maybe five, maybe. I mean, it's definitely, look, the, changing the title is not going to turn this into a, a blockbuster sensation, but I do think the BFG is a, is an odd name, is an odd title that is hard to uh, distinguish. Like what, what are we talking about here? And definitely led to a lot of funny jokes that we can't repeat on the air. You know, you know like it's, 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 it was an odd thing to do. I know the book is titled the BFG. I think the movie would have done a little bit better if it had a clearer title. Just just a little clearer. Maybe it it rakes in five, ten more million dollars, you know? Yeah. I thought I was like, BFG, the big effing giant? Like what kind of no Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised that joke Scorsese piece. How was that joke not made once in this I guess it's a PG movie, but you would have thought it would have been go. made one time. Um a little confusing. I mean, this movie has been in the thought of it has been around for 25 years, apparently. They've been trying to get this thing put to the screen. And I think now it's kind of the technology has gotten to the point where you can do this using motion capture. You can't really do this with puppetry or I guess they would just do 
they would do forced perspective probably if they were going to make this in the past. You know, like mm-hmm. they did Gandalf and Frodo, just shoot them yeah. at shoot them at certain angles so they look bigger. Um, but I still think, and, and this is 2016, and we've been we've seen a lot of these mocap movies, centrally mocap movies. We saw a Jungle Book this past year, which I felt has maybe the best mm-hmm. motion capture performances I had seen on screen, or most realistic. Um, I think maybe the the Dawn of the Apes, the the new Planet of the Apes, has done a lot for performances of motion capture characters. But there's still a big air of creepiness about it to me, and I just don't think we're past that as a society. I think it's still a good like three or four years away. Like you can tell, it's like ninety percent there. It's just not all the way there. And if you're not all the way there, it's a bit creepy to look into the eyes of this brig big quote unquote friendly giant and not get creeped out. You know what I'm saying? It's still, uh, I I just, I'm not fully convinced yet. There wasn't a moment of this where I looked at it like, that's a real giant, you know, (laughs) know, it, it was close. I mean, there were certain parts of it where, um, the detail of the face is perfect. Like you can tell they really concentrated on certain emotional scenes to really nail home the uh, realistic nature of the, Mm -hmm. of the creature. But, uh, overall, um, there just wasn't an air of believability to this film. Um, but this was a fun movie. This is a perfectly innocent kind of movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wish it wasn't Spielberg doing this. I appreciated that yes. it was Spielberg doing this because it made it more watchable for me who has to review this film. But uh, he could have been doing something more productive with his time, I think, yes. maybe more impactful on society. And he's, you know, he's not a young guy anymore, you know. Um, he, each movie takes three years off his life, really, uh, when you think about it. And, um, I just wish somebody else had done this. It would have been kind of the same thing. I think it was a decent script, uh, by Melissa Matheson. She, this was actually her last screenplay. She passed, I think within the last two years, I remember talking about it on the show, but the first time they had teamed up since ET. So there was some significance there in them reteaming for a summer blockbuster and, and uh, maybe a big family film. They thought this was kind of their, maybe their return to making big family films. But kind of a sad thing is, is that Spielberg says this is the most fun he's ever had making a movie. And so you think maybe he's going to do more stuff like this down the line. Mm -hmm. Um, We just don't know. But um, those are my general thoughts. Uh, I have a lot of specific thoughts on this and uh, plots and stuff like that. But uh, general thoughts, Brian. Yeah. I'm going to I'm going to make a sports comparison here uh because Steven Spielberg is my favorite director of all time and uh Dirk Nowitzki is my favorite human of all time and so I feel like those two things go hand in hand um I think you hit the nail on the head Kent when you said you kind of wish that Spielberg was using his time on something different and I agree I that's that was my biggest point coming out of it was like the BFG this was fine it was it was uh cute and it was uh, it was charming at times, and and definitely there were moments that had kind of that 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 patented Spielberg magic, um, but it is so slight compared to what he is capable of doing. And I I just kind of wish that he was off making. I'm really excited about Ready Player One. I wish he was doing something more substantial between now and that. Um, but at the same time. Steven Spielberg has given us so many great films over the years and so much incredible magic and these moments that no, I don't think anyone else uh, could, could ever come up with. If this is how he wants to spend the twilight of his career, then 
I think we owe that to him. And that's how I feel about sure. Dirk, too. Like, there's He's a just having party. fun at this point. Yeah, I, I'm the biggest... Richard and I tie for the biggest Dirk fans in the world. And we've had multiple conversations over the last week about uh, whether or not we would... Obviously, we, we want to see him in a Mavs jersey just because that's our team and we love Dirk and we want to see him here. But the my Mavs fandom has been exceeded by my Dirk fandom. And if he... If he wanted to go and uh, and win titles with the Warriors or something like that, I would be so excited for him and happy. There would be zero jersey burning, and uh, I would be thrilled that that's how he's going to spend his career, doing something, quote-unquote, substantial. But if he wants to hang out in Dallas where his family lives, where he has grown up, where he has spent his entire career, and just, I don't know, score 20 points a game on a 42-win team, if that's what he wants to do, then that's fine. I mean, he is entitled to do what he wants to do in my opinion and that's how that's how i am with spielberg too like this is clearly a passion project he's been trying to get it off the ground for for like you said can't 25 years and uh you know look it obviously didn't make a lot of money that may prevent him from from going through the the bucket list of items that he of movies that he wants to make before he retires uh but that's what, also, is, also i was gonna say it's like it's great that you have all these passion projects but if they're losing the studio $100 million, right? yeah, that right. might be the end of the line there. Right. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I would guess this is the first real flop in his... 1941, in his 1941 yeah, came out. Yeah, that was pre-Spielberg. It, it was you know, before was, anyone knew what he was, yeah. Right, right. Uh, since since his career took off, you know, Tintin didn't do great here, but it made a ton overseas. Um, I'm looking down the list. I mean, obviously, the fourth Indiana Jones movie is a horrible movie, but it made a lot of money. The Terminal probably didn't make much, but it also didn't cost much to make. I mean, th- he doesn't have flops on his resume. So, I mean, we just saw <laughs> we just saw uh, Zack Snyder get another... I know he'd already signed on for Justice League, but after the reception that, that Batman v Superman got and the, the lack of money, I mean, I know it wasn't a quote-unquote flop like this, but it certainly did not live up to their monetary expectations. He's still doing another movie. So I think it takes a couple of bad flops to get anybody out of the the, the, the seat that says, I can do whatever I want, you know? So, yeah. I, look, I, I, would like, uh, I would like him to do better stuff because this is fine, but this could have been directed, save for a couple of, of uh, really pretty solid moments that, that have that kind of typical Spielberg flair. Anybody could have directed this movie. And how, was it would the, how was this awesome. not Sam Raimi? How was this not Brett yeah. Ratner? You I know, mean, like it's, it's the most, it, there's generic. just not a lot to it that makes it Spielberg really. But again, if, if this is what he wants to do, then, then he gets to do it. And all right. Yes. It lost a lot of money. If he does another one of these passion projects that loses a lot of money, that's when you start saying, hey, Steven, I know that, uh, you know, I know you're great. I know you're the best. You, we can't do this anymore. We can't make these movies that are that are just chucking money down the tube. So uh, we got to we got to figure something else out. I'm not concerned. And I want to hear I want to know what you guys think. Uh, maybe this is taking us into a, a different different topic or a different area. I'm not concerned about Spielberg as a director yet. You know, I look at his last five, six films and it's certainly that's a probably the weakest five or six film run of his career. And that includes Lincoln, which almost won best picture that year, I believe. And Bridge of Spies, which won Rylance and Oscar. So like, it's not like he's, uh, he's out there just chucking up junk towards the plate. That's just getting crushed. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's not Spielberg highest quality, but it's still pretty good. What he's been able to put out. Yep. So I'm not concerned about 
what we have moving forward. I just think this particular property was maybe not up to the standard of what uh, of what Spielberg is capable of doing, both in his execution and just what he had it to work with, what he had to base it on, eh, is probably a pretty slight work compared to what we expect or what we what I think he is still capable of doing. Richard, any general thoughts on this or Spielberg or any of this conversation me and Brian have been hogging? No, you're fine. Uh, the, uh, you know, really, I thought this was a pretty interesting movie for what it was like in its, in its world. Um, it definitely created that. And for a kid's movie or a family movie, um, I found it decently thrilling and good. I mean, I don't think, yeah, like you, Brian, to kind of echo what you said, I mean, is it the best movie I've seen all year? No, but it doesn't make me worry about him losing his touch at all because his, his touch when it needs to be there is still there. Um, sure. So I'm I'm pumped for for something that's a little bit more for me with with Ready Player One or something like that. But I I enjoyed this. I I you know this was it's been a pretty miserable year on some fronts, and so this wasn't uh, this wasn't awful to sit through at all. Sure. Yeah, I've seen worse this year. That's for sure. Um, this is definitely not in the bottom ten, but it's just like remember like two years ago. We were talking about, um, I think it was Earth to Echo. Yeah, yeah. You know? Vaguely. Fourth of July release. Fourth of July release. And I just remember saying on that episode, I went to the movies on the Fourth of July and left, and like, this is what I saw. You know? Mm. Like, it's just, maybe that's what depressed me about. If this was like a, I don't know, first week of October kind of a movie, maybe I would be a little more high on this, but uh, maybe it's just I wanted more out of this past weekend and I need to get over that. And that's a known, my own demon, but man, for, for the first, for like five minutes of this, for the first five minutes, I was in, like in love with this movie. I was like, I love this. I love this. I love everything about this. <laughs> when the giant, when, when the girl, you know, goes to bed and then she discovers the giant and the giant, you know, takes her away and is going through the streets and like hiding from everything yeah. through the streets. And yeah, that was awesome. I was, that was incredible. I was like, if this, if this is an hour, two hours of this, we're in for a real treat, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, if we're trying to kind of see how this giant lives in real society and things, but then they, he takes her to the land of the giants, I guess it's called or giant country. And, uh, the majority of the movie is spent there. I would say yeah. 95% is spent there. Uh, kind of interesting conversation between uh, Sophie and the BFG. And uh, I could take it for about 15 minutes. Um, mm-hmm. I just think the uh, the troggle hoppers and time twiddlers, it just, it got, it just became gibberish to me um, yeah. for a, f- pretty early on. And uh, it became kind of a beating, just the language of the the script and screenplay and everything. Um, it was charming and cute at first, but then when I really wanted to like get into this movie and learn about these characters and like what was going to happen and everything, it was just kind of, Oh, you're going to go down the hoppledinger and get to, I was like, what are you talking about? You know, I don't know what the hoppledinger is. Um, but maybe that's just something, maybe that's a complaint of mine. Like, how did you interpret or how did you take the, uh, I guess the uh, rhyme of it all, Brian? Did it annoy you? Uh, I mean, it was like pretty early on. I was like, make this stop. Like just (laughs) BFG needs to stop like right now. The earlier moments were, were pretty bad for me. And it was partly, I don't ever like to 
smash on like on a, a child actor because yes. they don't know what they're doing. But she was pretty she was pretty bad early on. I thought she got better as the film went, and maybe that's just me adjusting to uh, to her as an actress because it's not likely that they shot this in you know sequential order or anything. But I, it took some getting adjusted to. I will say, like as as it went on, I found myself enjoying the kind of gobbledygook speech to it to an extent because I thought Mark Rylance was great as as the giant and the the, the mocap or whatever they the technology is that they use to to put mm-hmm. that forward. I really enjoyed that aspect of it a lot, and so there were some. The early sequences, I was, I'm, I'm totally with you. Like, I kind of wanted to put my fingers in my ears. Like, it was really difficult to, to kind of slog through. But as it went, I, I don't know. It, I started to kind of see some of the, I don't know how to put that, the virtue of, of that weird language that he's speaking, and, and probably they softened it a little bit as it goes because I guess he's learning to speak a little better as they go as well. So. I don't know that I just enjoy I I think Mark Rylance is so good uh, and I've only seen him in like five things now but he's been incredible in everything that I've seen and so those moments where they where Spielberg just basically has a computer generated Mark Rylance on screen speaking to me were some of the better portions of the film Agreed. just because it's him and because he is even as a as a computer animated giant, he is he kind of commands the screen, and so yeah. I enjoy. So I guess my point being, I didn't mind that sort of weird talk as it went because that those are the times when you're really getting an an opportunity to see Mark Rylance act in a you know a very difficult type of performance that we have said many times never gets enough credit. Uh, for how difficult that is to pull off. I thought he was great, and so those moments were not as uh, cringy to me as they would have been if, I don't know, anyone else, pretty much anyone else is in that role. It know? was used effectively in, in areas. Um, mm-hmm. It maybe just a quarter too many toggle sure. hoppers for me, like <laughs> yeah. just a little yeah. bit too much, you know? Sure. It was like... Plus, that, was our, that was our band name. In yeah, we actually <laughs> have cool. copyrighted Trago Hopper, so they owe us one. Um, what about you, Richard? Did it work on you? It worked uh, more on Team Brian than you on this one. I, I liked it. I thought it was kind of fantastical. And, and Rylance is, like Brian said, so good that um, I, can, uh, I can kind of vibe with it if I have to with him. Maybe it was me. Um, I just couldn't figure out the tone at first. I didn't know if this was, I didn't know if this was gonna, it was going for animated Peter Pan kind of vibe, or if this was going for like a realistic look at what it would be like if a giant really lived in Mm -hmm. like modern times, because I I didn't even know if this was set in like, this could have been set in 1915 or 2016. And I couldn't, I wouldn't have known the difference Agree, because like, you know, there's this magical land. She's like in an orphanage with like really like antique looking and everything. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then she goes to the palace and the guy's got like walkie talkies and like, yeah. cell phone. like, I'm like, what is, where are that we? Con- it, that confused it, me too. It was yeah. jarring. I didn't know what, what mm-hmm. to, uh, what to think. Um, so maybe I was just confused on the tone. Maybe if that had been established a little bit better earlier on, mm-hmm. I would have maybe accepted more troggle hoppers than I did. <laughs> yeah. But, um, there's so much kind of Spielberg. British Dalian language, you know, it's kind sure. of distinct yeah. to him in a way. 
Yeah. It's got a, it's definitely musical and everything, <laughs> and it, it works on occasion. Um, but this movie, like Spielberg just freaking Spielberg's the crap out of this movie. Like there's so much Spielberg in it. Um, mm-hmm. Just in the beginning, like the little juxtaposition of the girl and the dollhouse at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, hey, Spielberg, right at the beginning. And um, yeah. like when she's looking out the window and she's like, she sees the giant first and is looking out the window and like the door opens and just like the shadow of the orphanage lady like casts over the room, you know, and then she closes the door like we don't ever even see that lady but we just she opens the door we see her shadow we know that's like the mean old lady you know mm-hmm. right like he mm-hmm. he does such a good job of doing simple stuff like that um that uh didn't need any exposition because uh good directors don't uh require a lot of exposition in the script but i mean it's it's magical i mean there's so much so many uh spielberg face in this i don't know hashtag spielberg face uh <laughs> the the look of wonderment that he sure. often provides. Um, I found a lot of that. And the John Williams score definitely helped. Um, about halfway through, I just realized, I was like, oh, I'm listening to John Williams right now. And that made it a more pleasant experience, though. Yeah. Sure. It's Same. definitely what had John Williams written all over it, um, as far as the tone and everything. A traditional score felt absolutely right here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just weird that uh, John Williams is still doing star Wars and there's no George and no Steven. It's like kind of his only <laughs> thing he does now. It's his thing now. Um, I wonder if they talk to talk about it, but, uh, <laughs> any, any scenes stick out to you guys? I, I mentioned the one at the beginning. Of course, it's the most, maybe most wonder filled scene where the giant hand reaches in and grabs her and takes her away. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. uh, it's just because we hadn't seen the giant fully on. Do you think that the reveal was maybe too early for the giant? I was wondering that going in. I was like, how long are we going to wait before we get we see the giant? Because that's what everyone wants to see. That's what they're teasing in the trailer. Mm-hmm. And that's the that's the big kahuna, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like I said earlier, within three minutes, we see the giant and they're in giant land or whatever. It felt like three yeah. minutes. No, um, right up. Do you think that was a good choice or, or maybe a bad one? I mean, I'd have to be more familiar with the book to know. I mean, I don't, I don't know how, yeah, how, that's true. how that's really presented. You know, how much early on prologue there is. I, with you, Ken, I thought that the giant in the real world is much more interesting than the giant in Giant Land. Oh yeah, and so mm-hmm. you're you're right there. I would have liked it, but maybe that's not authentic to the story. So so I don't know. But yeah, I mean, the 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 tease of the magic trick is 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 revealed pretty early on. You're, you're definitely right there. And so that, that is a little disappointing it, in retrospect while you're watching the movie. I, I didn't really notice it, but, but yeah, retrospect. Maybe I wanted a little more of convincing, like her trying to convince people that she saw the giant and then they'd be like, you're crazy. And yeah. then it comes back the next night or something, you know, maybe like a little bit more of a tease there. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, like I said, right when we get the giant and he's running around, I was like, this is amazing. This is incredible. Um, but as soon as they got to giant land, it's like, everything's to his scale now. So it's kind of not the same when it's, when everything's different to her, it's not the same as, you know, him being the big one and, uh, us being the little one. So it was a little different, but very fairy tale vibe to this very like Jack and the Beanstalky Mm -hmm. vibe to this. I know it's kind of a similar premise, but, uh, like I, that's why Brett Ratner or like Sam Raimi, or I don't even know, um, who did the Jack the Giant Killer? Was it uh, X Men? Ryan, Ryan Singer. Singer. Yeah, yeah. 
So, I mean, any one of those could have, could have knocked this mm-hmm. out of the park maybe too. But, uh, I appreciated that. Like, I feel like Spielberg made this 20% better of what, than what it would be with an average director. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, that's fair. Is that about right? That's fair. I think there's moments that are so Spielberg and that's, those are fun. You mentioned the, the, the reveal of the giant and him taking her through the countryside one. I thought was a great scene. The scene where he takes her to the, the dream tree and the pond and all that, that is an awesome scene and it looked fantastic and it, and it really hits you with that sense of awe and wonder that you expect from Spielberg. And then I thought, I just think the whole thing just kind of gets muddled. I, I, I'm not, super impressed with the pacing which is to me is very very rarely a problem with the spielberg movie there were times when it seemed too long and times when it seemed like we were jumping too quickly to this or to that the scene of Uh, him like making the dinner and her on the table like basically her first scene in giant land way too long like it it was i was just like looking at my watch it was that long right too long and all but also maybe not enough exposition uh of like Really what's happening there now, to be fair, this never happens to me. I missed the first five, eight minutes of the movie. And so maybe there were uh, maybe there's a little more setup in there that uh, I, I just couldn't get into the theater quick enough. Um, so maybe that's part of the deal. But that scene to me and I will also say I had to see this in 3D because it was the only timeline that, that worked for me. And I I hate 3D so much and it takes me 20 minutes to get adjusted to the weird visuals and the darkness and all that stuff. So that's right in the, the, the time span where I was just kind of, you know, my head was spinning and was trying to get everything figured out. So maybe I just over overthought some of those moments or was not uh, clear enough on what was, what was happening. But yeah, I'm with you. I thought that that first, the introduction of giant country was, was kind of bad. And it's partly because, we're getting a, a real introduction to uh, to Sophie, and she's just not super sophisticated on screen yet. And the visuals, it's kind of taking time to to catch up to for my eyes to catch up to everything that's happening. Um, so maybe that's part of it. I, the pacing was odd, but dude, the scene with the tree is incredible. Uh, and great. then, and I, I I really enjoyed I enjoyed the end when. Uh, I guess if we want to go spoilers, uh, spoiler, spoiler alert, when they actually get to the palace and are talking to the queen and, and the, the, the just kind of the, the oddness of that whole sequence yeah. was funny and it That's worked great. and Spielberg yeah. had it, had it really well and it pinned, uh, the tone for that scene. I think it just missed the tone overall, like kind of scene to scene, you could almost go through and grade every 10 minutes of like, was that, did the tone, was the tone right on that? Yes or no? Yes or no? And I think more often, yes than not, but there were definitely a few sequences, mostly in giant country where it just didn't have the right feel. And it, it, it seemed like, it seemed like he was aiming a little off center and some people could pull that off. I just didn't think that it worked very well for this story. If that makes sense. Yeah, and I think the stuff with the evil giants works. I think the uh, sleeping giant stuff was good. I like the giant giant, the guy that's even bigger than the BFG. I don't know that mm-hmm. his name is um, Blood Guzzler or something like that. I don't know. It's the Bill Hader character. Yeah, uh, Blood, those, Blood Butler. Yeah, those yeah. guys worked well. Those guys looked better than the BFG. I don't know how that was possible, but they looked more real to me. 
Like it almost felt like I was looking at a guy in makeup, then I was looking at a CG character. Mm. Maybe that was just because of the odd shape of the head of the BFG. Like they're trying to stay faithful to the uh, to the drawings and illustrations that Roald Dahl did. Mm-hmm. But um, I think that's definitely the case, yeah. Because it look, I mean, f- it, from a silhouette and everything, it's dead on. It's like what I would think a live action BFG movie would be. But I don't know if that just makes it more unbelievable to me. Well, I mean, I'm talking about a movie with giants, and I'm talking about believability. <laughs> I know it's ridiculous. No, I, but, I think uh, you're right. Anytime you, you do know, a live action of anything, there has to be an era of do you, would you believe this in the real world? Mm-hmm. Uh, and the only times I did believe it was. Uh, fully was a again at the beginning when he's escaping uh, London or going back to giant country and then when he comes back to London like when he's in the real world I really bought it and I really enjoyed myself but uh, maybe there should have been a lot less in giant country and again if that was what was in the source material I understand that decision but maybe they could have done say hey it works better on big on the big screen when there's the juxtaposition of him in the in the real world maybe he can come to to London earlier, you know, come to the palace earlier, make that scene longer. I don't know what they could have done to right. work around that, but uh worked for me. Him just eating the breakfast food, like with the mm-hmm. pieces of toast with the giant fork and everything, and then j- them just bringing in his meals and stuff was funny. Yeah. And I really enjoyed that. I really, really enjoyed the enjoyed good that. sequence. Mm-hmm. Good sequence. But um one of one of many sequences, and I think the dream jar stuff, there that's kind of where uh you get the uh, the sentiment sentimentality of this, yeah. like what is her dream? She's not able to to dream, and uh, he gives her the ability to dream and all that. And I think that worked from a sort of fairy tale fantasy perspective as, sure. uh, for me. Yeah. So where could this movie have have gone better? What could have what could have been better about it? I think you know there seems to be kind of two things going on. I. You know, some of the live action stuff is cool, and some of the obviously a lot of the computer generated things are, you know, are interesting. But they didn't mesh very well for me in this movie. There was like a weird, um, just visually, like an obvious line between them. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought a, a real obvious, and and part of that maybe just is a purposeful aesthetic, like you said, Kent, to stay true to a lot of the illustrations and things. Mm-hmm. But it just seems so. Who framed Roger Rabbity at some at some points? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, um, especially when he like picked up the girl and at certain times and everything. Uh, it's some of some of that like you could see where they like stitched her into the frame. I know I'm being really picky here, but uh, there's a lot of that that I thought would have worked better in 2016 than it did. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it worked better in like Lord of the Rings when the like trees are picking up the the hobbits yeah. than it yeah. did here. Uh, I don't know. No, maybe I agree. I'm crazy. But uh, I thought the actual production design was awesome in this movie. I think it was very mm-hmm. well done. I think the giant land itself looked awesome. I loved all the gadgetry. I loved, like, the waterfall that had to, like, uh-huh. crank, and he, like, went into the path and everything. Yes. I thought that was incredible. Um, I mean, there's a lot to love about this movie. It's just uh, maybe I'm too old. Maybe I'm not the right audience. But I feel like if I was – if I just read this book and I was eight years old, you know, like if I read this yeah, book and yeah. when I was in second grade or third grade and then went to see this with my class, like I would have loved this, you know, um, mm-hmm. maybe that's the audience they went for. But that audience is $18 million uh, opening weekend. <laughs> so yeah. I don't know what they were really trying to cross over with this because, it, it, again, it is so faithful to the source material. 
It's not like a like a real world telling of the story, like they adapted it for modern times or anything. Like this is the BFG, like it was written. So that's a little bit crazy too. But I think this is just temporary for Spielberg. We're gonna yeah. like Ready Player One's gonna come out and like everyone's gonna be like, oh yeah, I remember this guy. You know, it, yes. if it, if it lives up to the source material, Brian, which you can vouch for, you've oh, you yeah. recommended that book on the show. I think multiple times before they even announced the the movie. Yeah. So yeah, that that really legitimately might be my favorite book of all time because it's just and it is the perfect adaptation for Spielberg. Like as I was reading the book, every two pages is like, gosh, if they make a movie out of this and Spielberg directed, it's just going to be incredible. Like it is, he is the perfect director for that that property. I have no doubt that that is going to be. I think the the low end expectation for that is a very good movie that is a lot of fun to watch and has that blockbuster feel. Now, whether that translates to a hundred and fifty million dollar opening weekend or not, I don't know. I don't really care. I just I think that it's going to be. I think it's going to be that movie where you say, "See, Spielberg still has it. Like this is still he still has the. He may not be able to do it every time out, but he can still do this." And that's, when Dylan made Modern Times, you know, yeah. <laughs> do you think that how would you guys feel about this would you be okay with Spielberg returning to Jurassic Park yes 100% it just crossed my mind yes like if I'm, they came back to him and said we want you to do the final film in this trilogy with Chris Pratt mm-hmm. I think he might be like I'll do it because it's that would be so awesome. fun yeah the, the dinosaurs are so fun to work with he you know he's like a kid in a candy store with that type of stuff Mm-hmm. And I think that would be a really cool like return to form for him if he could nail it. Like if he could nail it, if it's a great, sure. great script. But that's like one of the only things I can see him doing, rehashing himself. But he is doing the Indiana Jones movies, though, isn't he? Is he directing yeah. those? Yeah, he's directing number five. Okay, in twenty, I think it's nineteen. Might be eighteen. Lee. Scroll He'll down. probably do Ready Player One and then straight into that, I would guess. Yeah, yeah Ready Player One 2018, Indiana Jones 5 2019. Yeah. He has a couple of things between here and there. What is this? The kidnapping of Edgardo Mortoro. I can't remember. That's Rylance, so, and it's a period piece. So, you know, that could be interesting. What would we rather Spielberg do? Concentrate on making movies like Lincoln and Bridge of Spies and Saving Private Ryan or... Just give us summary movies, summary fun blockbustery movies with the occasional like Jurassic Park, like more adult themed blockbuster. Yeah, for me, I think I would, I would prefer him to do. Like to me, like he's kind of mastered. He's got uh, he's got Saving Private Ryan. He's got Schindler's List. He's mastered blockbusters and Oscar movies. He like, has. He's got <laughs> both. What I would kind of, I think I would prefer to see him do blockbuster stuff because. Just from a selfish standpoint of that's why I fell in love with movies, you know, is because of him doing big budget blockbuster magical things. And I would love to see that continue. But I think that's like that's almost a a blessing and a curse for him is he's so he's historically he's been so good at both sides of the of the cinematic coin. And so. It's got to be hard to. It's got to be like having massive career ADD of just like I, you know, he he I mean he did uh, he did Schindler's List and Jurassic Park in the same year, like back to back. Yep. So that's a. 
amazing. It's an amazing talent, but it also, there's got to be a part of it that's like. He was editing Schindler's List while he was making Jurassic Park. Like, that must have been a weird. Gosh. All right, I'm making Jurassic Park. Now I got to go to the edit room till 3 a.m. And then Schindler brings out the Raptors. No, no, that doesn't work. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that'd be an interesting crossover, but. uh, I really want to see him tackle. Like, Bridge of Spies is cool, but it's such an isolated incident or such a small. Like, he does great work with, like, big historical epics. Yeah. Like, with Saving Private Ryan and Schindler's List and uh, and with Lincoln. Yeah. Um, I would prefer him to go that route. I, it, there's no wrong answer to that question. Yeah. I just, for That's me... That's my preference. Jurassic Park is the... Is really... And it, I think it's in my top five movies of all time, and it's a... It's such a singular moment of... I was 10 years old... I had read the book. I wanted it to be great. And then it just completely blew me away and made me see movies in a, in a different way. And I would like, you know, I'm never going to experience that again, obviously, but, uh, the nostalgia of that makes me want him to do more blockbustery. What would you rather, uh, Richard? Huh? That's tough for, you know, I, I don't really have any interest in him doing another Jurassic park. I don't know why. I just kind of, I love Jurassic Park, the first one, but I'm really kind of over that franchise in terms of what he can bring to it. I mean, we saw, I just, yeah, The Lost World to me wasn't anything special. So like, sure. Um, I I kind of like him doing the Bridge of Spies type stuff for, for me mm-hmm. personally. Yeah, it's fair. Same. Um, I would too. I would, I would prefer that, but I just don't know if he, if that's something that he would, want to do is is do that i think he he's kind of a kid you know at heart he likes Mm -hmm. doing like the stuff he liked when he was a kid sure and so maybe that's what uh keeps him coming back to these these types of films and that's Mm -hmm. that's fine with me but uh we'll we'll just have to see i don't don't know what happened what's a better movie and be honest here what's a better movie the bfg or hook Mm. bfg I think the BFG is a better movie. I think I like Hook more. I enjoy Hook viscerally more just because it's so it's so ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is way more technically sound and uh, has fewer holes than Hook does. I could pick Hook apart, but I love it. You know. Yeah, I think if we were adults when Hook came out, we would not like Hook at all. Right. Exactly. That's the thing because Hook has a terrible Rotten Tomato score. And that is shocking to me because I loved Hook so much when I was a kid. But you know, I wasn't. That wasn't. Uh, I wasn't a critic in 1991 or whatever. So I don't know. I think I would rather watch Hook over BFG. But I think you're probably right. BFG is probably a a more technically proficient film. So let's hit grades, guys. Grade for the BFG. I'm gonna give this a A minus. Um, it's hard for me to give this anything less than an A. Um, it really accomplishes it exactly what it sets out to accomplish. Um, it does it with a lot of style. Um, it doesn't doesn't get a regular A or an A plus. Just didn't hit that extra note for me that I expected or wanted from a Spielberg film. So it gets an A minus. Uh, still a very solid solid effort from from Steve. Brian. <laughs> Steve. Steve. <laughs> Steve. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go a little lower and go with a B plus. I think the highs are really high. And the lows aren't that low. It just, I think at the end of the day, uh, I just think that this property is is not 
high quality enough for for Spielberg to be to spend his time on. I guess I think there's there's just kind of a lack of quality material to draw from, and maybe that held back the the project as a whole. So, um, but man, the the upper moments are are pretty good, and they looked better than most things that uh, that I've seen this year. So I'll, I'll go I'll go B plus. Ricardo. I'm with Brian. I'm going to go B plus as well. Okay. Spielberg, you've done it again. Um, maybe one of the only directors we've talked about multiple times. And uh, we're going to do it again soon, I'm sure. A lot of stuff to talk, a lot of throwbacks to go back and, and to discuss. Love it. So uh, maybe we'll talk about this one in Oscar season when the technical awards come rolling around. And this movie, yet another case of we need best mocap performance category in the Oscars. Definitely. Hey, ma'am, fam, question for you. Do you own a small business or are you a boss? Are you looking to hire awesome people, but you just can't find somebody to fill that role? Let me tell you about ZipRecruiter.com. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100 plus job sites all with one click. In fact, over 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them. Right now, you can post your jobs for free on ZipRecruiter by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. One more time, try it for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. Thanks to ZipRecruiter for supporting this episode of the Mad About Movies podcast. All right, guys, let's hit a weekly recommend. Weekly recommends. Go ahead, uh, Richard. Yeah, I'm going to echo something uh, Ken talked about earlier. I'm going to recommend the Mad About Movies podcast newsletter. Look at Out that. Today with some awesome, it's called Synergy, Brian. <laughs> Business Synergy. Business. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I'm, I, we're really proud of this thing. It's it's on issue three. I think it's hitting its stride a little bit. Some really good pieces this week on it, and uh, I think I think you'll enjoy. It. It's a great little uh, at your cubicle or uh, on your toilet read. It's about five to ten minutes to blast through the whole thing. It's perfect. Have you guys seen Bill Simmons' new show yet on HBO? Yeah, I yeah, watched the first step, not the second. Episode. I've only seen uh, the first two, but that's uh, all there is. So you're good. It's basically a video podcast. It's just him interviewing people. Um, we've listened to uh, Bill Simmons' podcast. He's been a, a, an avid podcaster for a long time and uh, definitely a trendsetter the podcast community. Um, mm-hmm. And so hats off to him for having a show on HBO. And I think that's a good forum for him, really kind of can say whatever you really want to say on HBO, and no mm-hmm. one's going to do anything about it. Uh, Bill Maher has proved that over and over again. But yeah. we... Um, we had some good stuff from Mark Cuban this past weekend talking about ownership. And uh, I think there's going to be some really good conversations had, whether that's because of Bill or whether it's Bill saying things. It's not. I think it's just a really good forum for people to go on and talk about some issues. Uh, maybe, well, you know, he he's he people seem to feel, feel really comfortable around uh, Bill Simmons. Um, and so I'm glad that there's a forum on HBO for him to have some of the people that you might not get on most late night shows talking for expended. Like he had a conversation. It was Mark Cuban and Malcolm Gladwell, like in the same convo Mm -hmm. talking about like the ethics of whether you should build a stadium with taxpayer money and stuff like that. Like you would never hear that, see that on TV. You would hear that on a podcast 
in the dark places of the internet, but not on TV. So I'm, it's awesome that it's on HBO and I can just, you know, watch John Oliver, you know, get uh, some Game of Thrones mm-hmm. and then Bill Simmons is right there with his, uh, his little show. John Stewart's coming aboard soon to HBO. So they're going to have John oh, Oliver, John really? Oliver, Bill Simmons and, uh, John Stewart soon. Nice. Yeah. yeah I yeah. know Stewart and Simmons have the same baby dolls, their agent, but, uh, yeah. cool. I didn't know that. I don't that's... know when it's launching. I think, uh, think still uh, there's still a bit to uh still a bit to come hater has a show coming on hbo next year he too. does he does so we'll, we'll have to see but golden era but i thought i'd recommend that for you guys because i know you're the, the maybe the biggest bill simmons fans i know richard actually actually it's drove bill simmons to an atm yeah. uh, so, i have gone to the atm yeah. with mr simmons <laughs> that, that is a true story that is a true story um but uh but yeah it's uh he's he's a really talented person and a, and sometimes a frustrating person too. Yes. The media, but I do on the whole, you know, I've been reading him. I was thinking about the other day. I've been reading in Simmons since I was in ninth grade. So, uh, like over half my life now. So he's right. been a part of it. So weird. Yeah. There's times when he drives me insane. But yes. He has probably had a greater impact on my quote unquote professional life than anybody ever. You know, like the between writing and podcasting, he has been a voice that kind of echoes in my own brain uh, more than than just about anybody else. So there's that's worth quite a bit, even when he frustrates the fire. It was funny to see him and Charles Barkley going at it about who was better, LeBron or Michael Jordan. Like it was just Tim talking about that for 10 minutes and Mm -hmm. American treasure Charles Barkley. We know he can carry on a conversation, especially about basketball. Um, but man, it was It's good. And I, I think, like I said, it's, I think it's going to be a good forum for, for some, some conversations that we're going to, we're going to be talking about in the future. So that's my recommend. Sweet. Uh, Brian. Yeah. My recommend is, uh, a show that I re- I actually recommended this show about this time last year. Uh, but the new season is about to hit Netflix. So I want to reiterate cause we've gained so many, so many listeners over the last year. Bojack Horseman is on Netflix. Two seasons there now. Season three comes out in like two weeks, I think. And it's such a funny show. I that is not a type of that animation style kind of makes my brain go crazy. And so I've always I usually skip over it and would not give it a chance. I did for some reason. I don't think it was a recommend. I think it was just I recommended out it, of I think. stuff. Okay. Maybe it was that that was it. Regardless, last year when I was renovating my house, I was watching that on in the background, and I ended up just stop stop all work so that I could watch the whole thing. It's so funny. Uh, it's like Thirty Rock meets Family Guy, the best of Family Guy, like the, the good <laughs> Family Guy bits. Um, it does it so well. It has a couple of really great characters, which is funny to say about an animated mo- or show in some ways. It's also really. It gets really down to it on uh, on human emotion and uh, what it's like to be a person, which is weird given that the main character is a horse, but <laughs> it does it really well. And uh, the season two, the end of season two, just ends at this this kind of like very uh, almost dark and depressing way, but so insightful and uh, and and authentic, and that is. It just totally caught me off guard. So I'm super impressed with the way that it is able to handle its themes. And at the same time, it is outrageously funny and off the wall. And uh, I think anybody who likes those other shows that I mentioned, there's no chance you won't like this, I think. So check it out. Cool. Cool. Well, Brian, where can we find you on the Internet? 
You can find me on the Twitter at BGill12. You can find my writing at madaboutmoviespodcast.com. I think I will have a blog up at the end of this coming week. So look out for that. Richard, how about you? You can find me on Twitter at Richard Barden or at madaboutmovies or at richardbarden.com, rather, on the Mad About Movies uh, podcast newsletter. Kent, where can I find you? You can find me online on Twitter at Kent Garrison and find our show on iTunes. If you like what you hear, please leave us five stars, leave a review. Yeah, it helps. It helps the algorithm. And uh, next week, we will be talking about, uh, I believe, The Secret Life of Pets. Fun. Or uh, Richard and I will probably hit up uh, Swiss Army Man within the next week. And maybe mm-hmm. do a little bonus talk about that. So look forward to that. And also we're we're recording a bunch of throwbacks this weekend, mm-hmm. which will be coming out um, randomly over the next couple weeks to couple months. So look out for those. Until next time, we'll see you at the cinema. Goodbye. See you. Goodbye. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling. Toss salads and scrambled eggs. Maybe I seem a bit confused Yeah, maybe, but I've got you pegged <laughs> But I don't know what to do With those tossed salads and scrambled eggs They're calling again Scrambled eggs all over my face They're making me ya ya The salads and scrambled eggs They're calling again So what are your thoughts on KD leaving the the Thunder? I know you guys have some strong <laughs> thoughts on it, opinions. Anything maybe. bad that can happen in Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> You're not yeah. kidding, no. 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 I, Richard and I agree on on the there's times when Richard and I if if you saw our texts about basketball, we disagree on things at times. We don't have two sides the whole time. We really hate the Thunder. Just like I think number 1 and, and correct me if, if I'm wrong on this, Richard. Number one in our hearts, Dirk, right? Like our agreement meter, Dirk Nowitzki. Number uh, two, either him or Boris Diaw, but yeah, it's close. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Number two, Thunder hatred. That's yeah, it's pretty strong. It's a pretty strong uh, really. Drives us. Yeah, yeah. Because here's the deal, Thunder fans they stole the Sonics. They stole one. the Sonics. They stole their city. Stole the Sonics. Their owner stole the Sonics. Okay, I'm not gonna blame, blame the fans and the city for that. But their owner stole the Sonics. It was super shady. David Stern, wink, wink, took a lot of money under the table to make it happen. It's an awful thing that happened. A, a, a flagship franchise goes from the coolest city in the NBA to Oklahoma City. And, uh, and, so, and they inherit a team with freaking Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook and James Harden on it. That's, that's pretty awesome, let's be honest. Like, that's a really stacked team. Coming straight in, they're young, so they missed the playoffs the first year. But you have freaking Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. Everything's going to be fine. Since then, they have been a dominant force, except for when uh, when KD was injured. Nothing bad has happened to these <laughs> to these fan base, and yet they kind of they always seem like they are just entitled to a championship, and it drives me. We it we earned it. Insane. We deserved it. Yes, yes. It makes it makes me crazy, and so. Uh, that's, that's kind of my, uh, my whole thing of like, I just, it's not that I want anybody to suffer, but I kind of want them to suffer. Cause it's just, I, you haven't, uh, you haven't earned anything. Like 
I don't know. I said this to Richard the other day. My I've been a Mavs fan since I was eight years old. The first year of my uh, my Mavs fandom, the sec the best player on the team was Derek Harper, who no one has heard of. If you're over the if you're under the age of twenty six, no one knows who Derek Harper is. Their second best player was Terry Davis. Okay, Terry Davis sucked. He was a terrible basketball player. He was the second best player on an awful awful basketball team. I suffered through so much with that team before and it made 2011 all that much sweeter 20 years so, later <laughs> 20 freaking years of of hell the first year of my full-on like i watched every game i wore mav shirts to to school every single day the first year of that we won 11 games 11 games and the next There's year we won 13 games. Games. yeah yeah we won 24 games total in two seasons that's an unbelievable stretch unless you're a sixers fan right now so like you, I don't, I just feel like you don't become a fan until you go through some tough times. So enjoy them. Enjoy them. Yes. Here it comes. Oklahoma city fans. Like, and I want to see what happens if they suck. I hope, I hope Westbrook forces his way out. Cause I think you have to go through, you have to go through five lean years to get it to where you are, to where you have really earned a championship. If, if, and when you ever get one. Well, do you agree with him going to the Warriors? Like, where do you stand on that whole, if he's going to leave, why did he go there? Uh, Great city, great organization, uh, fun style of play. That's, I mean, that seems like, you know, just like you, if, uh, if, if someone offered you a better job than the one you have, I think most of us would take it. Yeah, I feel like uh, maybe that is the best place for him to win but um maybe longevity does he look at longevity um is it is it all about um the results on the court i guess that's what i'm trying to sure to ask. yeah i think it's a big part of that and then i think it's also gonna have a brand new awesome arena great ownership mm. you know that's probably in a hundred years the bay area is gonna be new york city like it's growing at that rate because of Silicon Valley. So it probably that's probably the best market to be in right now in terms of growing. And so, yeah, then why? I mean, I think that's the I mean, I think we would all it's I mean, the only downside would be like, hey, maybe I won't get as much credit because they've already won one title in the last couple of years without me. But I don't think he really cares. Like once you win a couple. I mean, we all said horrible things about LeBron James for years and then he won one in Cleveland and now, you know, he's king of the world. So, <laughs> you know, I think, uh, people, people, I think for us, what, yeah, I think for us, what Jonah Hill says people do forget. It's satisfactory for us to see Durant leave and for them to be miserable. But I think for like the vast majority of Americans, like they're going to hate Durant now for doing that to yeah, Oklahoma it, it, City. It I already a, did, so this is fine. <laughs> yeah. He'll take a hit to his brand, but it, I think it's possible to be both. It's possible to say he kind of took the easy way out and went to a team that's already, I mean, they were the best team in the history of the NBA last year, right up until the last game, you know? So it's, you're taking the easy way out in some ways, but at the same time, we desperate, it doesn't matter what sport it is in America. We demand that, uh, as a player, the thing you care about the most is winning like more than your family, more than your, your religion more than anything else you better care about uh, you better care about winning or at least pretend like you do and then when somebody says you know what i really want to do is win a couple of nba titles i'm going to go do that which they're 
definitely the favorites for the next three years, barring, you know, any injury or something like that, then we just crucify him. You know, it's an odd juxtaposition to me. It can be both. It can be, you can say like, he kind of took the easy way out on this, but also I respect that he is, I respect him saying, I want to win titles. That's why I play basketball. I don't play basketball uh, to score 30 points a game. I play to win championships. And if this is the team that gives me the best opportunity to do that, then that's what I'm going to do. So I don't know. I, it can be, I, I see the, the opinion of that. It's, it's cowardice or whatever. And it definitely is a little bit. If you can't be, it's one of the weakest moves that I've ever seen from a superstar. <laughs> God, what a beat down. So jumping on the bandwagon, I do kind of, I do kind of, uh, agree with the point that you went to the team that beat you. Like you, sure. like you don't believe in yourself enough to get up and go say, you know what? I can beat their freaking ass and I'm going to do it. You know, <laughs> I'm, instead I'm going to join them or like, I, I know I can't beat them. So I'm going to go join them. That's mm-hmm. my only way to win, you know, kind of a thing. I think that's what's yeah. more upsetting about it is like, it shows a lack of self-confidence to go maybe to them. If you're, if you're Durant in the thunder, just cause they went through that whole thing. Yeah, like how many or- times are they? Five minutes. They were what? Five minutes away twice from yeah. winning <laughs> yeah. that series. Yeah. Um, so yeah, or it shows that you are pragmatic and you just say, I mean that that might be your best chance to win an NBA title because I think they would have beat the Cavs if they'd gotten to the finals. They were a better matchup for the Cavs than the Warriors are, which was which was strange to say in some ways because of how good the Warriors are. But you got to think, think that that Oklahoma thought they were maybe one player or play away from being that team. Oh, absolutely. if they had beat the Warriors, he was he would not go to the Warriors. You know, I absolutely, I agree. I totally agree. And so, I, yeah, I was think... kind of short sighted by LeBron to beat the Warriors because now, <laughs> yeah, not win anymore. yeah, yeah. So I, look, I see, I see both sides of that. But to me, yeah, it's kind of odd to go join the team that just beat you. You are admitting I can't. I don't feel like I can beat you. But at the same time, if you don't feel like you can beat him, then why stick around and keep doing it? You know, why keep banging your head against the wall if you have the opportunity to go? And it may be, I feel like different. I can't beat you with these guys and I'm never yeah. going to copy with Yeah, these. don't underestimate the idea, the, the concept of like as much as they have uh, played nice for the last five years, like Russell Westbrook is an incredible player. He is also a total beating to be around and a total beating to play <laughs> with. So there's got to be a part of him that says, you know who's fun to play basketball with is Steph Curry. I just want to go do that. I want to stop. I want to stop having to uh, dress up like an idiot and sit on the same uh, press conference table with this guy that just as great as he is, what a beating he must be to be around. Like Russell Westbrook has to be the most pivot basketball player ever. And yeah, he's going to be your next Dallas Maverick. (laughs) Just better watch out. I'm not even kidding. Welcome him with open arms. But as a person, (laughs) I mean, I'm not wrong on this, Richard, right? Like he, he has to be just a total. Uh... No, I'm not going to go totally. He might have okay. a, a layer of not full pivot because, some, you know, he has the uh, I've heard rumor of, you know, in, in a room. He's actually pretty funny. He just hates uh, he hates media people, <laughs> Okay, which All I right. can I can get on board with that. Yeah, I hate him, too. But, you know, yeah, no, it's just he seems like the type of guy who berates a waiter for bringing the wrong drink and that kind of thing. We were just like, <laughs> dude, just it's fine. It's really not that big of a deal. Can you just relax? Just chill. That's against the world chip on his shoulder. <laughs> exactly. In everything that he does. Yeah. That pizza guy screwed me on purpose. He brought Canadian bacon. I said, just ham. I just, it just felt like, I don't know, maybe the fact that LeBron won two titles in, in Miami. <laughs> yeah. Like, 
people gave him crap for that yeah. forever. And ev- the whole NBA, remember when Durant sent that tweet, like, oh, now <laughs> yeah. everyone wants yeah. to be a Laker or on the Heat? Yeah. Well, how about competing and doing real teamwork and all that stuff? Um, now that I guess LeBron won two titles, everyone's like, yeah, I'll do that. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's my point is like, yeah. people kind of crap, like, those don't really count, blah, blah, blah. But yeah. like, and guess what? In 20 years, those count. And these guys are smart enough to understand legacy. So, though we might, uh, you know, crap on LeBron for those Miami titles, in 20 years, it's just going to be like, hey, LeBron has three titles. Mm-hmm. But that, that narrative gets lost. Also, um, they didn't win it the first year, thanks to Dirk. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah. it took them a while to gel. I feel like it's going to take yeah. uh, I, Golden State a while to gel. Maybe, it, but their spacing will be so much better yeah, than it, this LeBron. team is so much better than that first Miami team. Just yeah, Miami right team didn't off the have bat. any shooting, and yeah. so they were all playing in the same spots in the lane. It was easy to guard them. This team is going to have you spread out and uh, three of the best shooters ever. It's going to be yeah. terrifying. If you have three guys who can consistently attack the rim, you might have a chance against the Warriors because that's going to be the weak link. Is they don't you know losing Bogut Zaza yeah. can't. Zaza doesn't c- patrol the paint the same way that that Boga does, or even Azili. If they, I'm assuming they're going to lose Azili, so that's something. But they also have, at any given time, they can have at least four guys on the perimeter who uh, who are plus defenders. At best. I mean, even Steph Curry. Steph Curry's not a. I would say he's not an above average defender, but he is average, and on his best days, he's slightly above average. That's. And he's the worst defender on the floor <laughs> if, when they go to that lineup. Yeah. So that's that's going to be tough. That's going to be really tough to beat on both sides of the ball. Well, we'll have to see. I guess they're the favorite. I mean, I guess the Thunder are done, so who takes their spot in the West? So it's going to be probably the the Clippers, the Spurs. Yeah, uh, I saw a tier. It's like Golden State is tier one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Clippers and Spurs, tier two. Jazz, yeah, Memphis. Jazz look good. Yeah, a couple other people will be tier three, and then Mavs, Houston, and a few others tier tier four. Good times, good times. Yeah. Pelicans and Mavs, right where we belong. <laughs> Gosh, poor Pelicans, <laughs> poor Anthony Davis. Yeah, get a different coach. They have no get one. They have Buddy Hield. Yeah. They have Buddy Hield and Anthony Davis. All right, guys, we'll talk basketball another time. Yeah, it's fun. Night. We need to segue into Mad About Sports. Yeah, these days it'll be fun. Hashtag Mad About Sports. Good Hashtag night. Mad About Sports. Sorry, Thunder fans. Bye. <laughs>